What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is Monday, December 11th, 2023. As always, I am PK alongside my co-host, Phil. Phil, we have a lot to talk about, and I have a pounding headache, so we'll see how this episode goes, but... Uh, we're just going to jump right into it. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Buffalo Sports Collective and on X at Buffalo or X and Blue Sky at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com and look for the time breakdowns in the description of the show. We are going to start with the Buffalo Bandits. Uh, deja vu, sort of all over again. They did lose to Albany week one. Last year, they lost to Albany Week two of this year, but their first game of the year, 17-13. to Cloutier had four goals. Nanakoke Byrne and Brandon Robinson had two. McKay, Smith, and Frazier all chipped in one. Vince, 32 of 49 save shots were 49-45 to in favor of Albany. Phil, take it away. Yeah, I think the best part about this game for our personal podcast is that it gives us a chance right away to start the season in case we have any new listeners to kind of get a few things, I guess, off of our chest that are common themes throughout Bandit's chats. And a lot of fans instantly complain in games like this about very common themes, again, that throughout the entire season will be repeated. And we have a pretty strong stance on them. And we will, uh, and we, we take a look and we, we not discriminate, we, you know, go after them if they had a bad game or anything. But the three big ones are John Tavares coaching. He is still going to be the coach. He's an incredible coach. He's not going anywhere. Matt Vince and his goaltending. He's an incredible goalie, The arguably the best to ever do it. He's not going anywhere. And then the refs, who I don't think had the best game, but it is very rare you will hear on this podcast our show blame the refs for a loss. I know... A lot of fans like blaming Vince, a lot of fans like blaming the refs, and a lot of fans like blaming the coach. They want him fired, they want Vince benched, and they want the refs just removed altogether. Three very common themes that our podcast will call out if needed, for sure, but often we will not look to, you know, fire Johnny, bench Vince, or blame pretty much any loss that the Bandits have throughout the season on the refs, whether they had a good game or a bad game. Phil, I like the opening monologue because I think you hit all of it on perfectly. I mean, John Tavares has one of the best winning percentages as a coach. Uh, Possibly ever with three straight yeah. 14 and four seasons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look at what he just did. Uh, Matt Vince is still one of the greatest goaltenders of all time. He is not slowing down. Yes. He had a rough game on Saturday, but if you look around, the whole team had a rough game. It was a very, very, it looked like they were shaking off any kind of rust. and It looked like they were trying to rebound and regroup after a very long offseason of partying with the championship, which is <laughs> too expected. You won the championship first time in 15 years. It was expected that you would go all out in the offseason to celebrate. It was just a bad game. It's one bad game. That we've been saying this for, this is our third season covering the Buffalo Bandits. They're not going to bench Matt Vince. As long as Matt Vince is the starting goaltender, they're not going to put him on the bench to see what they have in Delvin Shannon to see what they have in Steve Orleman. It's not going to happen. It's, John Tavares is not going anywhere. He's one of the best co- coaches in the league right now, if not the best coach in the league. And the refs, yes, I am, I am, uh, I've been called pro ref before. <laughs> not pro ref. I'm just not out. I, I don't believe that the refs are out to go get the Buffalo Bandits. I'm not accusing of the Buffalo of the refs to 
target the Buffalo Bandits any way, shape, or possible. If that was true, I don't think the Buffalo Bandits would have won a championship last year. So all of those things are just made up easy excuses. It, it, they're easy takes if you want to blame any of those three things that we just discussed on the opening monologue that Phil brought up here. Those are easy. Those are lazy, lazy reasons that you think the Buffalo Bandits lost. If you're going to take that that stance and be full on go with it, we might not be the right podcast podcast for you because you're not going to come to us to hear us saying, oh, Matt Vince should see the bench. Oh, Johnny Tavares should you know, go see the unemployment line. Oh, the refs were horrible and they're the reason the Buffalo Bandits lost. We're very unlikely to use that stance over and over. Now, if... You know, they go on an eight-game losing streak, and the play continues like this. Yeah, we're probably going to be starting to call things and and you know call for people's heads and people to sit on the bench. And the refs are doing this, the refs are doing that. But it's very unlikely that a team built like this that has title aspirations again are going to get us to that level. They had one bad week. They were very bad last year in game one, and they still went on to win the championship. They were very bad against the same team they just lost against. I. I'm not going to sit here and overreact whatsoever, Phil. I thought there was a lot of things that were very bad. I thought there were some things that were very good, but I'm not here to bury them. I'm not here to say this team is not championship caliber. I'm not here to say Vince is over the hill and he shouldn't have come back. He should have just went into retirement. I'm not here to say any of that stuff. It was just a very, very bad game that looked like it had a team that has not been playing together for a while, and there were a lot of new pieces, and it it showed in this game. Yeah, I think you can definitely see as the game went on, they settled down quite a bit. The first quarter alone, they had a lot of penalties. They were looking very chippy. They looked like they wanted to fight a lot, which I don't really understand coming from a championship-caliber team. I expected them to more be the team that, you know, Albany's the little guy in this game. I know they were home, but... Between these two teams, Albany's the little guy, and you would expect Albany to play chippy to try to get the Bandits off of their game. I was expecting the Bandits to kind of just roll that off and just go out there, play really good lacrosse, and win the game. But instead, they really lowered themselves to Albany's level very early on in the first quarter. A lot of fights, a lot of man advantages given to Albany. It's hard to start the game off strong because of that. And then they went on to actually pretty much settle in, calm down, but at that point, it was too little too late. The biggest thing as far as kind of just getting letting this game get away from them is that Albany did an incredible job not allowing the Bandits to go on any sort of run. I don't think they had a run of more than two, maybe, in a row. I don't think they even got to three the entire game. And this is this is a sport of runs. It's a game of runs. You need runs in order to catch up. You need runs in order to put the other teams away. And the Bandits just... Offense could not do it. They obviously scored okay scoring 13, but the defense and Albany's offense was right there every single time the bands tried to make a run and tried to get back into it. So the first half, they got out of it very quickly. They looked very bad and, again, stooped down to Albany's level of playing chippy. And then from there, it was playing catch-up, and they just did not have the ability to settle in quite enough to really catch up to Albany. Albany was just... Their offense was right there. I thought Vince, like you mentioned, played arguably one of the worst games we've seen him play. I think he'll bounce back perfectly fine, but the defense in front of him also looked pretty rough. They looked just out of sorts. Every They looked slow. The entire team looked very slow, and like you said, that has a lot to do with coming in your first game. Albany's already played a game. It was the Bandits' first game, having that bye week, so Albany looked just much faster. They looked like they were ready to go, and the Bandits looked very slow, very disorganized, a little bit undisciplined. 
I think they will bounce back fine next week, but you can definitely tell one team has played and one team had not. The Bane just looked, again, just very slow in this game. And you could tell it even Vince looked slow, defense looked slow, offense is passing, looked slow. Everything about it just looked like they were, I don't know, just very, very slow. I don't want to keep saying the word, but Albany looked much faster paced the entire way. Transition, defense, offense, and the Bane just looked like they were a step behind the whole game. Yeah, Albany had very timely goals, like you were saying that they they had eight goals in the in the second quarter, and that pretty much did away with any you know big time runs that the Buffalo Bands were going to go on. But it, it goes back to, and this is one of the biggest things that the Buffalo Bandits are going to have to look in the mirror and and figure out how Albany played them early in the game is exactly how every single team is going to play you this year when you are the champion. They're going to toy with you and try to get you out of your game and try to fight and all those kind of little nitpicky things. Buffalo Bandits have to realize that, hey, we're the better team. Rise above it. Don't get into those little scraps because that's exactly what happened last year. And that's exactly what happened in this game where you let Albany hang around. And when you let teams that are superior to or that's the right word. Inferior. Superior to you, right? Inferior. Inferior. Thank you. Inferior to you. They're going to hang around. And that's when they get the abilities to pull off the upsets here. They had no answers for Alex Simmons. Five goals, three assists, eight points. He was unbelievable in this one. It looked like Mad Vince had no tape on him after playing one game. And Mad Vince is a very, very big guy in prep work to know exactly what all the shooter's tendencies are. For a guy like Alex Simmons who doesn't have a ton of tape on him, that seemed like a big, big reason for him just having you know Mad Vince's number over and over. Mad Vince was not strong. We're not out here to claim that he had his good game he was very bad, very bad in this one. The defense was not any better and they were not helping him out whatsoever. They were out of position. They were out of shape. It seemed like a lot of the new pieces that were added to the the defense, Cam Wires did not have a very good game. It seemed like he was out of position quite a lot. It seemed like the whole defense was not good at communication where they were you know, making the correct decisions to switch off and when not to switch off. They missed Bryce Sweeting and Adam Bomberry mightily in this one. I mean, I I am not worried about the offense whatsoever. I I think that a lot of it came to a head in the first half where a lot of the guys were in the penalty box, and a lot of the times they were on the penalty kill, so they couldn't get their offense going. I'm not worried about the offense whatsoever. I, I like the plays from Josh Byrne where he was not looking to shoot nonstop. He was pulling the defenders to him. Brandon Robinson and Cloutier were, Cloutier were getting opened and finding that wide open lane in front of Jamison because Byrne was pulling the defenders to him, not afraid to make that extra pass and wide open in front of the net. I, I think the offense is going to be very good moving forward. I'm not worried about the offense whatsoever. The defense, I'm not worried about, but my my sensors are uh, lighting up. There's no alarm, but the sensors are lighting up. I think it's going to take them a bit of time to gel and figure it out, but that that's the only main thing that has me a little bit tingly that something could be up as the season progresses again one game in not panicking whatsoever it's one bad game you're gonna have it every once in a while but you know the defense looked very shaky I think I think they're gonna be able to figure it out and move forward but all these new pieces and the pieces that are not there anymore got to gel together and and figure out how to capitalize it off because next week versus San Diego there's veterans on that team where there were no veterans on Albany so it's going to there's no rest stop here because uh San Diego is no joke of a team coming in yeah I mean 
after my opening article, I was kind of reviewing that the entire team from last year is pretty much here again, with the exception of a few players here and there. And the defense was what really looked different, even though it's a yep. lot of the same players. But like you said no Bombberry, no Sweeting. You add wires, possibly add Belter sooner than later, especially if Justin Robinson cannot play in this upcoming game, which he looked he left looking very injured. So we'll see what his injury ends up being. But even him, I mean, him and Dylan both coming in, neither of them were. Justin's been out for pretty much a whole year and then some on this team. And then Dylan played quite a bit last year, but he was still out a few games as yeah, well. I think he so, missed his last eight games, maybe. I think he only played 10 last year. And then he missed all the playoffs, too. Right. So, I mean, even with those two players, you can essentially call them additions to the entire team because they really haven't played together either. So, I mean... Yes, they've been on the team for a little while, but because of injuries, they weren't really on the active roster altogether. So the defense had a lot of new pieces yesterday, and they looked very off. Like you said, communication, I think, was poor, and the offense playing a lot of defense. I like the idea, but sometimes it got a little bit too much where you had three, four offensive players trying to play defense. I mean, one of the early goals, Fraser got burned real bad. bad. He just kind of got ran around and it was a very easy goal for Albany and he did not look good in that situation. There were a few times that the offensive players got stuck on defense and just simply did not look very good in that role. And again, I think it's one, I like the idea of it. I think it's something that needs to continue to progress with the offensive players playing defense, but some of them look like they could use a little bit more help on that. And then for the offense itself, like you said, I think Byrne getting seven assists is incredible. I think that's Another way we'll see his game develop in my opening article. I didn't even tell you about this, I don't think, but a mild, bold prediction or a pretty big, bold prediction that I didn't really say was Byrne possibly eclipsing Dane Smith in points this season because he was doing pretty well last year before his injury, and he has gone, I think, up pretty much a point per game every single year over the last three years. So if he does it again, I think he'll be right there with Dane. And in this game, led the team with 10 points, but not just 10 points, also seven assists. So really settled into a really offensive kind of captain role. But the big thing with the offense that we mentioned against Jameson was they had to get inside. He wasn't a goalie that really allows a lot of outside goals. To me, from what I reviewed, they had eight goals from the inside, five from the outside, and two of the ones that were from the outside, one was on an extra man, extra man advantage power play, and the other was a transition breakaway by McKay where he shot it pretty far out because the guy was right on him. So you really only got three goals from the outside, eight from the inside, but for the most part, the offense was kind of stuck shooting from the outside, and that's why they didn't you know, really take off. 13 goals is fine. I'm not really going to nitpick the offense too much, but I think they just needed to get inside a little bit more frequently and weren't able to do it in their first game. Yeah, I only have three more observations here, and they're not even major ones. First one, kind of what we were expecting. Steve Orleman is the third goaltender, so everybody that was in the offseason the whole time, oh, this is our goalie of the future, oh, this is our new backup, oh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you weren't listening to our show. We were saying that Delvin Shanahan likely had the edge, and going into game one, he definitely had the edge. He's the backup goaltender for the time being. Steve Orleman was the healthy scratch and the third goaltender in this game. So uh, just sit down and relax a bit. Just because a new player comes in doesn't mean they're automatically uh, crowned <laughs> the new champion of the, the Buffalo Band. The second one, face-offs. It seemed like they were leaning towards 
uh, Chase Frazier to start the quarters and then Ian McKay would come in. I would like them to lean more towards Ian McKay moving forward because it seemed like when the Buffalo Bandits were winning the faceoffs, it was more Ian McKay was actually winning them rather than Chase Frazier was losing them and then swinging his stick like a golf club to <laughs> get the ball loose out of Joe Nardella's stick. So I think your best faceoff, you know, player, your best, uh, face off go-to man moving forward is probably Ian McKay moving forward but I know there's going to be more timely decisions and more strategic decisions on who is going to be your face-off man in certain situations and the last thing this is not Buffalo Bandits related this is coverage and uh broadcast related why were there no replays whatsoever in the entire game like I'm sitting there they're discussing stuff the announcers are talking about things, explaining things, getting a lot of things wrong, but they're not showing any replays on what actually happened. They're explaining what they think happened, but they're not actually showing it in replay. That is so infuriating. And on top of that, where did the score go for a while? It just disappears too often I think it was also on ESPN+. Plus. It, was on it just it just disappears. There's no uh, power play time. There's no oh nothing. It's just there are so many minor details again that need to be improved that haven't been improved in their time on ESPN plus that's just disappointing but the biggest thing is just the replays like where it was the the whole scrum we were trying to figure it out and they didn't show one replay we had to wait for a commercial and then me and Brooke backed it up to try to figure out what exactly happened and then we got back to live that's what we had to do for a replay that's unacceptable in my mind yeah so real quick going back to face-offs from what I was able to look at, I didn't, there were so many goals and I was watching right. the Bills game while also watching the replay. So I got kind of lost in what I was doing, but there were 17 goals to go through. I think there were only two that resulted directly off of face-off wins. Like it was a face-off win and before the bands got another possession from Albany, Albany scored. So I think there were only two goals that were directly resulted of a possession directly off face-offs. It's about normal. So... Something that I'm going to try to keep an eye on while we don't have a true face-off guy to see how many really directly are, you know, results of a face-off. I think there were only two in this game. Two of 17 really goes back to the idea of the face-offs. I know in a game like this, you want possessions, you want offensive possessions, but they weren't scoring when they had their own possessions off the face-offs too often. So something that kind of goes back to that. But like you said, the other big thing with Ian McKay winning them a little bit more often if you are going to lose them at least he's a defender who can immediately run back and play defense whereas if Fraser loses it then he's caught trying to play defense and he's more of an offensive player so I would like to see McKay be the true face-off guy and if he loses it at least he's already out there on defense he can go back and immediately play rather than Fraser kind of either trying to sprint off or getting caught trying to play defense as well so that'll be interesting and then yeah like you said trying to go through the calls that the refs made on the field with no replays. I was trying to kind of break down all the penalties against the bandits and I got incredibly lost and confused between even what they have on the website as far as what the players were called for don't match up to what was actually happening in the game. Like burn, I believe I, again, it was very confusing. So even in my article, I kind of wrote that I was confused because I don't understand what happened, but burn, looked like he got called for a two-minute push-from-behind minor penalty in the game, which was pretty much off-film, not reviewed, 
And all of a sudden, Albany came back with a power play. And then in the stat sheet after the game, if you look on their website, it has him with a five-minute fighting penalty when he didn't fight anybody. And he wasn't even in the box, from what I understand, for five minutes. And it wasn't a five-minute penalty. So I don't know. It was very hard to see, like you said, in the scrums and everything, who was called for what, what was being called. There were no replays on what was really happening. It was just the announcers, like you said, trying to break it down. I even got lost between the stat sheet in the post game and what actually happened in the game. So a lot of just really basic things that you need to clean up. Like you said, the scoreboard going away, went away at a very confusing time to know who was in the box and who wasn't. I think Fraser had a five minute major that carried over into the second quarter, but then I don't know. They didn't show it on the scoreboard. So it was hard to see if Albany was on a power play. If they weren't on a power play, what was actually happening? It was just very, very, very confusing for a little bit there as far as what the penalties were, who was being called, the replays, the scoreboard, everything kind of got lost in the shuffle for a good like 10 minutes of gameplay. So again, it's week one, at least for the Bandits, week two for the NLL, things that need to be cleaned up moving forward, just basic little ass. I mean, we're, we don't often ask for much, but just simple things like that would be nice. Yeah, I mean, even the refs got lost and confused in that one. Remember, they let out Jackson Reed before the play; he was supposed yeah. to be out of the box. Eight it was just, early. <laughs> yeah, it was a cluster, and it remains a cluster right now because I'm looking at it on screen, and yeah, Josh Burns still has a five-minute major yeah, that's for what fighting. I was going over, and, and I, uh, I don't remember that happening. And then Fraser got hit with like a five-minute major, but they didn't really explain. Yeah, it just says two-minute minor on here. Yeah. Right, and it's just it, two-minute minor, no but sense. in the game it said five minutes, and they didn't really explain why because the mics weren't working, so. All you really hear at the end of it was five minute and then just kind of trails off. So I don't know what he got a five minute penalty for. But like you said, on the stat sheet, it says two minutes. I don't know. Very, very confusing. Just clean it up so I can do my job a little bit better. (laughs) But uh, we do have some things to talk about here. But again, moving forward, we're not super worried about this game yet. Bad game. Shake the rust off. But there are some things you got to work on keeping your cool. And it seemed like a lot of times they were going for the hit rather than try to play defense as best they could but we got some milestones that did happen josh byrne did cross the 300 uh loose ball mark for his career mad fence did tie sean evans for fifth in games played in nll history steve priolo moved into sole possession of third place in games played for buffalo bandits nick weiss tied pat mccready for 10th uh in buffalo bandits history in games played and nick weiss had exactly five loose balls so he's tied with kevin brownell for eighth place in buffalo bandits history Pretty, I guess, low-key-ish. Yeah, uh, nothing nothing big. Yeah, nothing, nothing big. I mean, Matt Vince being fifth overall in NLL history is pretty big. All the all the NLL ones are always going to be big. But other than that, nothing, uh, nothing too crazy. Nothing too crazy. So we'll look at our lacrosse lookout because it is unified standing, so all these games matter. We're just going to talk very briefly on it, and then we'll move on to the Bills game that just wrapped up. About what 20 30 minutes ago uh philly we're in toronto they lost toronto won this one 11 to 7 six goals in the second by the rock pretty much did him in matthews four goals in his debut nick rose 38 saves mitch Desnew in his first full season back is what he's hoping for three assists 10 loose balls and two cause turnovers colorado was in georgia and georgia got the win 10 or 16 to 10 Five goals in the first, second, and fourth by Georgia. Lyle Thompson had four goals, three assists, seven points. McIntosh had four assists. Jane, uh, uh, 
Shane Jackson had three goals, two assists, five points. Q, one goal, four assists, five points. And Dobson, 39 saves on 49 shots. They kept Zed Williams in check with just one point, one assist in this one. Rochester and Saskatchewan, that one came right down to the end. Rochester won 16-14. Counterfields had 11 points. Smith went 3-3-6. and And Hutchcraft got the start instead of Ryland Hartley. 36 of 50 saves. I believe they're probably going to go Hutchcraft for the, you know, in between the pipes from time being for now least. from now on. Yeah, I think he's deserved it going 2-0. Uh, late game, Calgary was in San Diego. San Diego won this one 12-9. 9-5 advantage for San Diego in the second half, including not allowing Calgary to score a single goal in the fourth quarter. Uh, Austin Stotts, four goals, two assists, six points. Dane Doby, 2-2-4. Two, two and, and then Orgolari, 34 of 43 saves for the victory. And then this one wrapped up when the Buffalo Bills were still playing. Vegas defeated in an upset over Panther, uh, Panther City, scored with 0.8 seconds left on the clock to send it to overtime, and they got the victory, 11-10. Hellier, 3-2-5. Jackson, 2-1-3. Uh, Hannah, 1-3-4. And, and then Kells, 46 of 56 saves. Once again, came up huge for Las Vegas. Yeah, trying to kind of blow through a quick point on each of these. Toronto game, Matthews getting four goals of the 11 they scored right off the bat. It is pretty impressive for their offense. And even just to see them not have to shake off the rust like the Bandits did, a little bit frustrating that they were able to come out. I know they were home, but still able to come out and put a good, solid, rock-type 11-7 victory together when the Bandits came out pretty flat. Colorado game, Georgia looks like they picked up right where they left off, scoring a ton of goals against a very good defense and very good goaltender. It'll be interesting to see how Colorado can pick up the pieces without Lee on offense. Rochester, interesting. I mean, they're putting up some really good second-half performances. Fields is off to a really hot start again for them. And like you said, Hutchcraft over Hartley is going to be interesting to watch moving forward. Calgary, San Diego. Calgary is just not a second-half team right now to open the season. Really, really rough in the second half. They've had a collapse in the first game in the second half, and then this one, like you said, no goals from Calgary in the fourth. They're going to have to fix that pretty quick. And then that Las Vegas... Very, very late, 0.8 second left to push it to overtime and then to not only push it, but also to win. Pretty big win for them. And they've had, I know they lost the first one against Albany, but they've had some pretty exciting games to start the season. So that will conclude our lacrosse segment for the first week for the Buffalo Bandits. We look forward to being in attendance on the 16th for the banner raising and hopefully not another dud of a game. I hopefully, yeah, hopefully you know, they in got front of Banditland, they, uh, yeah, hopefully they shook off all the rust. They used some WD-40 and uh, are back to working the the scoreboard and uh, putting up some big numbers and Vince bounces back, which we have known him to do in his tenure for the Buffalo Bandits. So we'll move forward. Buffalo Bills game, like we said, they just wrapped this one up, and uh, we got a happier result of recording right after a Bills-Chiefs <laughs> game. They won 20-17. to Allen was 23-42 of for 233, 1-1, one and 10-32, for 32 and 1 on the ground. James Cook, I thought this was his best game as a Buffalo Bill, 10 for 58 and 5 for 83 and 1 through the air. And then Diggs was just 4 for 24 on 11 targets. Not a very good Stefan Diggs. As I said, James Cook, probably his best game as a Buffalo Bill. And uh, I thought this was one of the worst games for Stefan Diggs. Yeah, I mean, I thought overall with how the Bills played, and we know the Chiefs have a very good defense so far this year, so it was going to be Really tough. I thought the defense for the Bills was going to be the big question mark in this one to hold the Chiefs to only 17 points when the Chiefs are at home 
absolutely incredible for this defense to be able to hold that strong against this good of a team. And we've been talking about the Bills defense not really being tested all that much since all the injuries. I know they just played the Eagles, but that was a pretty high-scoring game. So to see them really clamp down, I know the Chiefs offense is struggling. Yes, they have drops. They've had issues that late game potential touchdown by Kelsey flipping it back and then the offside on offense, which is rare, but it was very accurate. So I don't know why Mahomes is so upset. The guy's offside. He's offside. But again, you kind of got lucky toward the end of the game on that play. But even still, outside of that, to hold them to only 17 points is really impressive. And then Brady, as far as play calling goes against a tough Chiefs defense, they looked like they got really kind of stuck in their game plan toward the end of the game. They put up two pretty quick touchdowns, looked really efficient early on. And then the last three quarters really pretty much got stuffed for the most part. But I thought he looked okay as far as play calling went. I thought for the most part, it was decent. There were definitely times I would have liked other things, but you said the cook versus digs as far as stat lines go and just the look of the game digs four for 24 and 11 targets. Most of them just kind of failed screens where even if he had caught it, he had absolutely nowhere to go. So I know you're trying to get your playmaker involved, but I think they need to find a different way other than screens that weren't working, but getting cook involved as much as he has since he took over. And even in this game, once again, looking like his best game, Love to see it. Yeah, I thought the defense was absolutely incredible in this one. I know they got some help with the, you know, drops for the Kansas City and the offsides and all those kind of things. But it's another reason why you can say the refs aren't up to get Buffalo because uh, you had a lot of things go your way. So uh, those that believe that they really didn't want to. (laughs) Yeah, those that believe that the Buffalo Bills get you know, screwed by the refs, uh, sit down for a week. That didn't really happen in this one. But I thought James Cook was incredible. I think the issue was that they went away from him too long. They're trying to get it, um, everyone involved. Yeah, they're trying to get Johnson and Murray involved too much. Agreed. You know, Murray had that big drop, which, you know, that went your way. I thought it should have been an incomplete pass. But, you know, Cook had the same situation happen to him a couple weeks ago where he fumbled it out of bounds or, um, and Denver came up with it. Um, I believe that got James cook benched. What happened to Murray? Like that's what the issue is. There's so much inconsistency. Davis had a big drop. He's not benched. It's just, that's one of my issues is, and I'm not trying to get overly negative because they came away with a big win in this one, but the inconsistencies on when you're choosing to bench players is, you know, out of my mind. It, It makes no sense, but yeah, I thought James Cook, best game I've ever seen him play is Buffalo Bills uniform. I thought he should have been more involved. You see him, you know, that play call to get him wide open in the seam for their first touchdown, brilliant. Loved it. I, getting him involved in the receiving game, I love it because that's something that we didn't see to start the season under Ken Dorsey. Under, you know, Joe Brady, it, it's been much more involved and the the screen games have been much uh, much improved even going back to the Brian Dable years we didn't really see the screen game used very much but I, I loved in this one and then I can't preach how good the defense was in this one the giving up 17 points to a Patrick Mahomes whether you want to say he doesn't have many targets whatever th- they gave way. up seven points on a very bad Josh Allen interception so seven of those came where they were already shorthanded in their own end by a lot. Another one was a big return in the in the special teams department, which I thought they were very bad again. Credit to you know uh, Tyler Bass for knocking two through after he's had a rough go of it this season. Well, second half of the season, I should say. But yeah, I thought the defense was really, really good to force two turnovers. I thought the offense 
became a bit stale in the second half where you know, I, one thing or another, they kept getting set behind because of, you know, offensive holding on first down and then it's first and 20, <laughs> a lot of those. But, you know, I, I thought it was, I'm not all the way bought back in, but this was a must win game that they had to have. So they check one off four games to go. You need to come up with at least three of those. You got Dallas next week. So, you know, credit to them. They got a big win when they needed to. They got some help in the standings where they needed to. And they're tied seven and six. But again, it goes back to not getting those wins when you needed to and having those tiebreakers go against you. So, again, one in the win column. Do you need more to go? Yeah, it was, uh, like you said, overall good win. I I don't want to really go too far outside of that from that i mean we're trying to remain as positive as possible i mean this year especially the amount of teams that are in it is insane i mean what are there five right five one two three four five six am i am i looking at six 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 oh my gosh six seven and six teams this year like that's insane that there's six teams that are fighting for a couple wild card spots is just nuts. I know the Browns are eight and five, and they're also technically in the wild card because the Ravens are looking good. Chiefs are eight and five now. Also, I mean, if they don't start winning, which I'm sure they'll be fine, but I mean, they are also right there behind the Broncos or just ahead of the Broncos. Oh my gosh, if the Broncos win that division, that would be gross. Um, but it's it's possible. It's a very weird year to be right above 500. I mean, usually I think we see just a little bit more disparity in the league where there's more teams that are doing well and more teams that are doing bad, but to see so many teams at or just above 500 seems ridiculous. I mean, in a weird way, I think I think it's the year to struggle because there aren't so many teams, like there aren't two per division at the top that are at the top by a lot. I mean, everyone's just kind of log jammed, so if you keep winning, you have a good chance of possibly making it but I mean this was a like you said huge win to go into Kansas City when Taylor Swift was there you got the W that's exciting and now uh, you can move on to Cowboys which is another massive massive game yeah you got some massive help with New England beating Steelers on Thursday you got some big help with the Bengals beating the Colts and bringing them back Texans lost CJ Stroud to possibly a concussion Broncos did win so that doesn't help but yeah, uh, seeds six through eleven are sitting at seven and six. That's Buffalo insane. does not have very many tiebreakers over anybody. They don't have the tiebreaker <laughs> over the Bengals, the Broncos, or currently the Texans right now because of conference record. And then even the the Colts have a better conference record, and even the Pittsburgh Steelers have a conference you, record. You gotta better. win. So up. just win. Up. You have to do. <laughs> you have to go on a big streak. We went over it on the Monday show where we we're talking about. Or I'm sorry, the Friday show. I forget what day it is. We went over on the Friday show what needs to happen and what we think happens. I even gave the Bills a loss in this one, and they still didn't you know, end up making it. They got the win. They got out of Kansas City with the win. Big win. Huge. Big, big win. But they they have more work to do. Just because this is a very good win versus Kansas City doesn't mean they don't have more to do. So hopefully Dallas is playing right now in the Mon- or Sunday night game. Uh, they're a high-flying offense, so you need your defense to come up strong again, and you need more help on the offensive end because Dallas's defense has been a bit shakier of recent weeks, but they're still very, very good. The offensive line had a very bad game in in Kansas City tonight, uh, but I think not giving Allen much time. I think moving forward, it's possible. 
I'm leaving the door open that they still can make it. But again, with all those tiebreakers going against the Buffalo Bills, it's going to take at least a three and one finish, if not a four and zero finish, to jump past those seven and six teams that are currently tied with you. Yeah, and as as much as we love our home games, as far as the atmosphere and everything, I kind of wish the Cowboys game was away so they could uh, be inside a nice, comfy, warm dome, and Josh Allen could just probably have a field day and just kind of have an incredible game in some nice weather-controlled dome. But we will be home in the raucous atmosphere of the Buffalo Bills, so hopefully the home crowd does enough to uh, really keep it going, and maybe it'll work to the Bills' advantage in a... Who knows what kind of weather. The weather's been all over the place recently. We just had 60 degrees. Now we're going to be back down to cold. So who knows what next Sunday will look like, but we'll see what they can do against the Cowboys. Yeah, so not a ton of Bills talk. My head is still pounding, Phil. So I'm fighting through this because I still got to edit after great. this. But we're doing great. I, I, we're, we're trying. This might be a shorter <laughs> episode. And I'm Our first one okay in with that right years. now. <laughs> yeah, first time in a long, long time. We might be under an hour. But we still got one more segment to go here. Buffalo Sabres, two games to talk about. Thursday in Boston. This team confuses me to all hell, Phil. I don't understand it. They won this one 3-1. to one. Paterka, Tage Thompson, and Olofsson were the goal scorers. Levi, 31-32 saves. Shots were 35-32 to 32 in favor of the Sabres. And then flip it to Saturday. They go with Levi again in Montreal. I'm sorry, home versus Montreal. They lost this one in a shootout, 3-2. to two. Skinner, Oposo were the goal scorers. Levi, 29 of 31 saves, but he only made uh, one save in the shootout of four. Shots were 48-31 to 31 in favor of the Sabres. Yeah, I think uh, I'll just jump into kind of looping these games together. When I saw them beat Boston, the first thing that came to mind that I was going to ask you was make it make sense that you can beat Boston, you can beat the Rangers, but you can't beat anyone else. So somehow you play really well. And honestly, they looked pretty dominant in that game early on. And then all of a sudden, you know, you beat these two really top teams. We can't beat anyone else in the Canadians game. Honestly, Premier kind of stole that game for the Canadians. I thought the Sabres once again looked really good. But to loop these two games together, there's three, four really big things that I thought really, really stood out between these games. In the first period alone in those two games, the Sabres outshot the Boston Bruins and the Canadians 36-12, to something that we have been asking for them for a long time now to have a really good first period. I know against the Canadians it didn't really turn into goals, but they looked incredible as far as shots on net go in both games. I mean, against Boston, they outshot them 19-5 to in the first period, something we've been looking for. Levi had two monster bounce back games after going to the AHL. I am not ready to say that he is their savior again or that he's ready to go. Honestly, I don't even know if these two really strong performances help him. I feel like he should be still in the AHL trying to develop a little bit more, but he looked incredible in these two games. And I mean, there's again, he's all over the place as far as development goes. So I don't know what they're going to do with him, but in those two games, he had 60 of 63 saves for a 952 save percentage. He looked really, really good. And then the other glaring issue still that I agree with you at this point, some assistant coach needs to be fired and somebody needs to be brought in who is a power play specialist because this is just ridiculously embarrassing. They went 0 for 8 in the two games on the power play. It's got to stop. Something has to change. And I mean, against the Canadians, you went 0 for 5. You get one goal. When you go 1 for 5 on the power play, you win that game, including a power play to end the game with, I think, 50 seconds left. I don't even know if they got a shot on the net in the last 50 seconds while they were on the power play. They started the overtime on the power play, on the man up, still couldn't do anything with it. It's just... 
It's got to stop. Something has to change on their power play. It's just ridiculously bad. But other than that, the first period looked much, much better in these two games, and Levi looked incredible. Yeah, to talk about the power play, we've been saying that all year long. Their power play it's is broken. It's been broken. It's it's gross. And even with Tage Thompson back, it hasn't gotten any better. So something needs to be adjusted on the power play. It was good last year. I don't know what happened. I, I really don't. I know I joked about it a couple episodes ago where I went, the, power, or the penalty kill, kill took all their power and <laughs> from the power play and kept it for themselves. But really, it, it's broken, and it's really, really bad. They need to figure something out. If that involves you know a, a change in coach with the assistant coach, make it happen. But something needs to be adjusted because if they're able to turn that around, that will help your goal scoring immensely. But to go back to what you said, it doesn't make any sense with this team, Bill. It really doesn't. How do you beat teams like Toronto Rangers and Boston and you lose to teams like the Red Wings and the Blues? It makes no sense. This team is so weird that they play up to their competition and they play down to their competition. It makes no sense whatsoever. But yeah, again, to talk to Devin Levi, I thought he was very good in back-to-back games he was not very good in the penalty shot or the the shootout but I don't think that these two games should change what we thought we thought that he needed some time in the AHL getting two games in the AHL I do not believe is a big <laughs> enough sample size <laughs> he only got called up because UPL got sick if UPL's not sick Levi is still down in AHL so I don't think these two games should change their idea behind it that means you're still carrying three goaltenders. I still hate that. So whenever UPL is healthy, unless they're going to waive Eric Comrie, which I can't see happening because I feel like they would have done it you know, weeks ago, I think Levi needs to be back down on the AHL because I still think UPL is your 1A goaltender to roll with. I think Levi needs those games to be played and send him down to Rochester to get those precious games to be you know, handled by himself with his development. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is that, which kind of goes against what we're trying to ask for and is concerning, is that I think Comrie, from what I can understand, is healthy. So to see them put Levi in back-to-back games and not go Levi for Boston, right. because, you know, Cotton, I don't know why they don't let any goalie go back-to-back games other than Levi, apparently. But, I mean, going into that Boston game, they didn't want Comrie to play back-to-back and UPL was sick, so I understand calling him up for that one. But then to keep him in when Comrie was then healthy – and rested to keep him in against the Canadians kind of is concerning as far as them wanting to send him back down because he looked good in both games. So I feel like to the Sabres mind, they're going to keep him up and they're going to carry three goalies. I mean, I just don't see how you play him back to back when you had a healthy Cameron, you chose Levi over him and then he played well. Like what kind of message are you sending to Levi that he played two really good games and then you're going to send him down? I mean, to us, it makes sense for his development. To him, it might not. To Comrie, I don't know what I would be thinking about this team, but to see him play really well in back-to-back games, for them to give him back-to-back games, I think it kind of goes against them sending him back down to the AHL, even though I think we both agree that that's what he should get. And then the only other point I wanted to make, which is one that I don't even want to speak into existence because it is, I don't know, just depressing a little bit to me, but Olsen has actually looked good recently and good for him um I'm not going to really change my mind about him being just kind of a a bottom forward but it's good to see that he has been able to contribute recently in his last seven games he's had two goals two assists and a plus three rating and he's actually looked decent and created some pretty solid opportunities 
I don't love saying it because we have pretty much written him off this team, but for him to look good, it's good if he's going to be on this team. And I think he has honestly looked surprisingly decent recently when the team needs any kind of offensive spark or boost they can get. It's good to see somebody stepping up a little bit, even if it is Olofsson, who we're kind of over a little bit. Keep up in that trade value, even though that, I don't think it's going to happen. That'll work. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the the only other point I have here is Chad Dominicis from Expected Buffalo. He put this tweet out. The Buffalo Sabres, if they want to keep pace in the wild card two race, they need to get 69 of their remaining 108 available points to have a chance at what it's currently expected to be at, which I believe is 94 points is expected to get you into the wild card two spot. So that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot they need to go we've been saying it for weeks now phil they need to go on a run of wins not just getting a point they need to go on a three to four game winning streak and get all of those points without letting their opponents get any points right the the standings are not there's so many teams in front of them phil we've went over multiple times but really the only other thing i have to talk about real quick because again heads pounding trying to get through this still gotta add it will be that I am going to be on Talking Buffalo once again later tonight, Monday night, right after the Sabres and Coyotes game. So if you have any interest on that, any Bills talk that we're probably going to talk about, probably even some Bandits talk, hopefully, I will be on Talking Buffalo Monday night. But Phil, that's about all I have for this episode. If there's anything else you want to add, I know we're under 50 minutes, which might be the first time in God ever, ever, maybe. Yeah, I think we just uh, we wrap it up and, and roll with that. Hopefully the bandits can bounce back with the banner opening, but we will break that down on the next episode. Yeah, I know we didn't talk much about the Bills and the Sabres, but like we said, this is a majority <laughs> bandits talk with uh, Bills and Sabres sprinkled in, and uh, hopefully by Friday with the preview, I am back up to 100%, but I've had a pounding headache for the last five hours, and I was dreading this in uh, the talking at all so let's uh let's wrap this up and i'm gonna edit and then go right to bed so thank you all for listening to the shorter episode of the buffalo sports collective follow us on facebook instagram at threads at buffalo sports collective and on x and blue sky at buffalo sports co visit our website at buffalo sports collective.com subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you leave us a review on apple and spotify until next time bye bye